0: Welcome to The Primal Pioneer, a no nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. The following episodes are a true story about me and my partner Jen's rewilding journey and quest. I will tell this story in audiobook form and hope that you not only enjoy this very alive, living, breathing, personal rewilding quest that I share with you, but also that my story inspires, motivates, and teaches you how to rewild your life as well, and the importance of it, because our health and the survival of our planet depends on it. Rewilding Chapter 8 How Sunlight Builds Your Hormones, and Mexico Initiations. Jen and I saw such stark improvements with our health from the Sunlight Rx that this quickly became a blessing and a curse. A blessing, really, but now the sunlight became our primary source of health care and self-care, which meant we didn't want to go long periods without it. We moved out of our rural mountain home in El Rito, New Mexico. Once the house sold and then we moved into a beautiful funky adobe home in Pilar, New Mexico. Not quite as isolated as El Rito and more water availability. The home was right on the Rio Grande and had water rights and water rights are liquid gold. To the desert dweller farmer, which we were super stoked about starting. Finally. Maybe this house would be the house where we'd start our garden dreams, our homestead dreams, and really dive into those projects. So we moved into the home on May 1st. The sunlight was stellar, and the house was away from neighbors, far enough that Jen and I could continue with our stark naked sunlight RX practice and Jen and I got so dark that summer, often a very positive sign that vitamin D stores are building, that people would ask us where we'd been as if we traveled to this far out remote island tropical paradise of Bali or Cuba or Mexico. But the truth is, we didn't. When we told them that we'd built our tan right here in New Mexico, they looked at us puzzled and as if they didn't believe us. But honestly, the equation is pretty simple. The more sunrise light you're in, starting at sunrise, as close to that sun coming up over the horizon as you can get, the less you burn and the more you tan in afternoon sunlight. Most people, when they see my tan, Jen's tan, they think we tan for aesthetic reasons to look good because we enjoy how it looks and appears. And while tan skin is much more appealing to me than pale white skin, this is nowhere near the reason why Jen and I work on our tans (laughs) on a daily basis. So What most people don't know is that the more tan you are, this is an indication that typically reflects your vitamin D levels. The greater your tan, the greater your vitamin D levels. So the more time spent in that sunrise light, the less you're going to burn and the more you're going to tan in afternoon light. And Most people today fear afternoon sunlight, that strong UVB light. But the only way anyone burns in UVB light is because most modern humans live an indoor lifestyle. We spend less than 7% of our time outdoors thereby breaking all of nature's laws. Nature designed us to live in nature, and just by being outside more under sunlight, your hormone, metabolic, and immune health will all be better by a long shot. AM sunlight preconditions your skin with red and blue light, and Basking your skin in this dual light powerhouse will optimize your vitamin D production. It also diversifies your gut microbiome, triggers the timely release of metabolic signals, and regulates hormone production. I run a Facebook group called The Keto Cancer Solution, and I can't tell you how many people post questions asking about how to rebuild their hormones and this is a really good question especially for anyone that has a hormone related cancer such as breast cancer many women after breast cancer surgery they want to know hey how can i rebuild my hormones and this is one of the most popular frequently asked questions on the facebook forum the keto cancer solutions now the doctors persuade them that hormone replacement therapy and drugs like ta- drugs like tamoxifen are their only answer however in my experience in working with breast cancer patients Hormone replacement therapy and Tamox are very poor, unhelpful, band-aid approaches to trying to support hormone health. If you want to rebuild your hormones from a natural root place, you've got to spend more time in sunlight. And this sounds so simple, so uh, simplistic- And just not super powerful. Like how can sunlight have this power to rebuild our hormones? It is the most powerful thing out there to rebuild our hormones and our metabolic health. And I'm going to break down why here for you in super simple terms. So 312 nanometer light, that is UVB light. 312 nanometer light plus LDL cholesterol. This is how you produce vitamin D. Now, most cancer patients, especially those with a hormone-related cancer, such as breast cancer, have an LDL level below 200. And this is all in U.S. American measurements, okay? The allopathic medical profession wants your LDL cholesterol around 100, hey, even lower. In fact, the lower, the better. They say this is the key to a healthy heart, right? But this is total horseshit. Not only that, an LDL below 200 is gonna increase your risk of cancer greatly. One basic foundational reason why is because without an adequate amount of LDL cholesterol, you can't make vitamin D. And vitamin D, the, the title of it, how we categorize it, it's a little uh, deceiving because vitamin D is actually a hormone, a very important hormone. And every decent study out there today reveals hands down that low vitamin D levels increase not only cancer risk, but increases one's risk of all diseases, period. And so low vitamin D levels are often, not always, but often a reflection of a low LDL cholesterol score and or a deficiency in UVB light. Because without UVB light and without adequate LDL cholesterol levels, you cannot make vitamin D and therefore your hormone Profile will suffer, your hormone health will suffer. So, anyone out there looking to rebuild your hormones, I cannot encourage you enough to go to my site, heathershepard.com. H E A T H A R S H E P A R D. Scroll down the the homepage and you'll see a place to purchase the Sunlight RX ebook. Dedicate your life to the Sunlight RX. As much as you can and you're going to see a huge improvement in your hormone profile. As the summer months passed, Jen and I were feeling the benefits of optimal vitamin D levels. It was palpable. Our vitamin D levels were in the 80 to 100 range from one summer and I should say one spring as well of committed Sunlight Rx practice. We turned our hormone health, our metabolic health, and our immune health. And I can say for my brain health and healing my TBI, I made huge, huge strides in my brain health as well. So as the summer months passed and fall quickly approached, Jen and I wanted to keep our sunlight RX momentum going. So we decided to take a trip to Mexico. We'd leave on December 1st, and we'd stay at least six months. We put all of our belongings in storage, we rented the house out, we moved out of the home, and we packed Jen's SUV like freaking sardines. And on December 1st, just as our southwest tans were beginning to fade, we got out and set out to drive to Mexico. Sandy beaches, crystal clear water, sunshine, UV light, barbacoa, and fish tacos This is something we didn't have to think twice about signing up for. It would take us three days to drive to the state of Nayarit and arrive at our destination. Now, Jen is pretty fluent in Spanish. I, however, am not. Even though I took four years of Spanish in high school, two years in college, I only knew a few words here and there. Hola, buenos dias, donde esta el baño, cuanto cuesta... These are basically the few words I know. And you can add in a lot of other food words and unconjugated verbs. This was about the extent of Spanish that I knew going in. Now, the drive through Mexico is a whole other ball game, and presented its challenges for several reasons. One was that Jen and I were a same sex couple, and I'm what's referred to as a hundred footer in the lesbian world, meaning you can tell I'm gay from a hundred feet away. Right? It's pretty much a dead giveaway. So, this didn't fly so well on our drive through Mexico when we were stopped at a toll booth, roadblock, or passport inspection site all ran by men, mind you, they'd always ask Jen in Spanish if she had a husband. A staunch, homophobic question, okay? And most men, they can't handle when they think of a feminine woman being with another woman, right? The Mexican militia didn't like me, so we'd get stopped, searched, and our entire car searched when we had to stop at these checkpoints. Another thing that red flagged Jen and I was a driving sticker. Before you drive in Mexico from the U.S. or Canada, you need to buy a sticker that registers your car. Now, I'll be the first to admit that our trip to Mexico wasn't super planned out. We were busy with work, with moving our stuff out of our home. We literally just booked our Airbnb, Googled, mapped how to get there, got our passports in order, and we hit the road. We didn't plan this out logistically well. I will admit that (laughs) right up front. This was kind of a last-minute plan and a spontaneous kind of trip, so when we were stopped and we didn't have our driving sticker our registration sticker they'd always ask where it was and we had no idea what they were talking about and had to translate what they meant by driving sticker into english i say we very lightly because i had no idea what they were trying to say jen being pretty fluent in spanish caught on to this i was totally lost but After about 10 or 15-minute conversation with the federales, Jen got it. Hey, we need a sticker. We don't have the sticker. And then at each stop, they tried to tell us we'd have to turn around and go back to Nogales to get the sticker. And that would be a four-plus-hour drive back towards the states. Each time, Jen told them, we weren't going to do that. So they settled for a 100 U.S. dollar payoff, each time, and we continued along our route. The first night we stopped was in San Marcos. This is a sleepy beach town, a little fishing village about three hours south of Tucson, Arizona. This first stop was a total breeze, super safe, super friendly, and easy to navigate. The second night we stopped, however, was a bit of a shit show. We had booked an Airbnb in a tiny little fishing village. And I was stoked to stay here because the B&B had a pool that was filled with ocean water and had an oyster bar restaurant right next door. So I was looking forward to this. And I happened to be driving this leg of the trip. We were coming up to our exit, but Google Maps kept rerouting us. The only option for a turn was a tiny sand road. And by sand road, I mean picture a beach with sand. Take the beach away, and then just the sand, that's what the road looked like. Now, I'd seen four-wheel drive trucks get stuck in sandy beaches, tires buried in sand that required a big chain hooked to another big truck to get out. Jen's SUV only had all-wheel drive, so I was a bit concerned. I turned down the road anyway, making sure to go pretty fast so not to get stuck. And we then made a sharp left-hand turn onto another completely sand road. As soon as I made the turn, there stood about 15 Mexican dudes all standing in a group as if waiting for a car who would dare to drive by them. Knowing how many of the Mexican guys thus far felt about queer people and um, Just being in the drug capital of Mexico, Sinaloa, I pulled the fastest freaking U-turn of my life and said, fuck it, to the night in the tiny fishing village. The only issue was dark was quickly approaching, and we knew it wasn't safe to drive in Mexico at night. Even all of the Mexicans told us, hey, you just don't drive at night. And there's many reasons for this. Free roaming cattle in the middle of the road, massive potholes in the road, and the most feared drug cartel. So I hauled ass down the highway. The sun was setting and Jen looked up the nearest big city, Mazatlan, a 58 minute drive from where we were. I never drove so fast in my life. We instant booked a and b for $29 USD, which turned out to be an excellent B&B, by the way. And there I went down the highway, beelining it to Mazatlan, trying to beat the dark. We made it just at dark, hearts still pounding and wondering if we'd made a huge mistake on our choice to drive to Mexico. If all of Mexico felt like this, we wanted to go back. But we felt trapped because we didn't want to go back and drive through that whole thing over again. We were reassured because the lady running the B&B at Mazatlan was a sweet middle-aged woman from Spain. And when we told her about her experience, she was not surprised, but asked if we took the Libre Roads. The highway we took had two options. You could choose the route that was a paid route, or you could choose the libre, aka free route. Jen and I, not knowing what we were really doing, opted for the free roads, which meant we didn't have to pay. We said, oh, that's a cool option. Let's just go with that. But we were stopped by people posing to be federales, stopping us, asking us questions. We were stopped by people holding buckets, shaking them at our American-marked car, banging on our windows, desperately asking for money. We saw such poverty and hardship along the Libre roads that it was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching to see. Our hearts went out to these people. And at the same time, we were terrified because they were in such a desperate state That many of them would do anything, including harm, to get money. One village we passed along the Libre roads was made of wooden sheds. The plywood molded, damp, sunken. As we passed by a young kid, he suddenly appeared from the median, dragging a ferret on a leash. The ferret was dead. Times were definitely rough on the Libre roads throughout Sinaloa. And when the Spanish B&B owner told us, Jen and I quickly learned to never take the Libre roads ever again. And we quickly ordered the Mexican driver's registration sticker for a small fortune of 500 bucks. From Mazatlan to Nayarit, the trip was a breeze. No sexuality issues, no Libre roads, no paying anyone off. But as we approached our destination, finally feeling safe and reassured about an hour out from our b and B, I I was driving and suddenly the gas and the brakes on Jen's car stopped working. Luckily, I was in a small town. I wasn't going too fast. I was at a stop sign and pulled over as soon as I could. I stopped the car, put it in park, and I looked up and saw that we were in... A cattle slaughter operation. Perfect. A perfect place to land, I thought. Not really. I popped the hood and took a look. Like I knew what the hell I was looking for. I admittedly know nothing about cars. I wish I did. A few Mexicans, however, just happened to pull into the slaughterhouse driveway with a trailer full of cows ready to be turned into ground beef or molita de res, carne asada, and Mexican street tacos, and of course, steaks for the barbecue. One guy got out, and Jen and I held our breath. After all we'd been through thus far, and just based on my general appearance and how the Mexican men seemed to react to that, we were wondering, was he going to ask us if we're married? Is he homophobic? Does he hate Americans? Will he try to kidnap us? these were the thoughts that ran through my head he walked up to us and asked if we needed help in english he'd spent most of his life living in anaheim california and acknowledged how terrified we must be and said very genuinely that he was happy to help he thought our car might have overheated so he poured water over the radiator He asked if we ran out of gas also, and we said no, because we just filled up about an hour ago, maybe an hour and a half. Jen's gas gauge, however, didn't work. It hadn't for months. Since it cost well over 1k to fix the gas gauge, we decided not to fix it, and went with the mileage system to determine when we needed to fill the tank. Whenever the trip mileage read 250 miles we knew it was time to fill up. The mileage was only at 175. As we explained this to the guy, he said that because it's so humid here, the gas quickly evaporates from the tank. We were in the heart of the jungle and the humidity was sky high. Jen and I had never experienced such humidity in the States. So now the only option was Jen would ride with four Mexicans in a pickup truck to the gas station up the street. I needed to stay with the car because our dog, Alice, would overheat if I left her. Jen went because she spoke the best Spanish, hands down. As not cool as this situation sounds for two queer women and one aggressive pit bull in the jungle of Mexico, it actually went super smooth. Jen got back to the car in less than 15 minutes with a plastic tank full of gas. The only issue, we didn't have a funnel, or embudo, a word we quickly learned in Spanish. So, all the guys at the cattle slaughterhouse looked around the barns and the buildings for an embudo. There was no embudo to be found. So the guy from California called his cousin, asking him to bring an embudo. 30 minutes later, and no cousin yet to be found, we pulled an old-fashioned Mexican embudo trick. One of the cattle slaughter guys took an empty plastic Pepsi bottle, cut out the middle of it, so we could pour the gas into the core, the center of the bottle, and it go into the tank. Problem solved. We were so appreciative for the help And we tried to give the guys some money for helping us and for respecting us. But they refused and wished us luck on our travels. An hour later, we pulled into our small little beach town and made our first stop. Of course, at the health food store. We were concerned that the town wouldn't be gay friendly. Could we be out? Was it safe? Were they going to accept us? These are all questions that run through my mind whenever I get to a new place, be it a different country or a different town or state in the U.S. But we were quickly relieved when we walked into the small yet hip, clean, and super cute health food store to see the prettiest, most feminine guy working there. Frankie was his name, and he was queerer than a $2 bill. With Sinaloa past us, Nayarit embraced us with loving, kind, open arms, and we loved it just as much and a little more right back. The quest for sunlight during the winter seemed like a simple, easy task to attain back in the States when we were planning our trip, or should I say half-assed planning our trip. But it turned out the sunlight RX winter trip to Mexico was an initiation into a totally new way of living, working, and approaching life. The biggest nutrient modern people are missing today is sunlight. Not only plants, but humans too need sunlight in order to live and thrive. When your eyes and skin connect with sunlight, your metabolism and hormones function flawlessly. Your cells and mitochondria heal, regenerate, produce energy, and reduce inflammation. To learn my four step Sunlight RX protocol, go to heathershepherd.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and pick up your copy of the Sunlight RX and start witnessing the healing breakthroughs that sunlight has to offer all of us. To learn more about rewilding your life and healing your body naturally, subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at sunlight underscore RX or visit me online at heathershepherd.com or wildandform.org.